Hello, I'm Ben Hansen-Hicks, and this is the So What Do You Do podcast. Every week we'll be talking to someone in a different industry, finding out what their day-to-day lives are really like, and what tips and advice they have on how to break in or move across into their industries. I hope you enjoy listening. This week, we're going to be talking to a well-known cinematographer in the natural history filmmaking industry, Ollie Jelly. A documentary filmmaker and conservationist at heart, you'll often find him filming on glaciers, in rainforests, at the top of a mountain chain, or stuck in a hide for weeks on end for a shot of an elusive animal for the latest big primetime natural history documentary. Ollie is someone who has travelled the world with his work, filming in six out of seven continents, and can be away for weeks, if not months, at a time, often to be found in absolutely gruelling conditions. Throughout his career so far, the broadcasters he's worked for is a who's who of the biggest and best in the industry. From the BBC to National Geographic, Channel 5 to Apple TV. The list just goes on and on. We're not only very lucky to have him with us today, but also incredibly lucky to have cornered him just before he heads out the door again on the next shoot for weeks on end. So Ollie, welcome. It's good to have you with us. Hey mate, how's it going? So, first question. Cast your mind back to when you were 16, just finishing uh, year 11. So for international listeners, year 11 is the last year of compulsory education in the UK. Did you have a career in mind? Where did you want to head up? Um, all I knew when I was 16 was that I was done with classrooms. Um, <laughs> I really struggled at school. I was very, um, very sort of, I don't know if I was ever officially diagnosed, but I was put down as ADD and had dyslexia and all this stuff. And the school I went to just didn't support it very much. And I was much more about being outside, playing on my bike, riding my skateboard. Um, I was very lucky that my parents moved to the, t- the countryside and we had a big woodland behind our house. So I spent all my time out there. And the more time I spent out there, the, the less I was bothered about having anything to do with uh, the classroom side of things. So at 16, I I didn't have a career in mind firmly, but I just knew I needed to be outside for whatever I did. Um, I knew at that point a little that I cared a lot about wildlife and nature and the other people certainly all my friends at school didn't care about it nearly as much as I did um, and I think that bothered me a bit but I went off to South Devon um, and actually studied a course called countryside management I did a, a BTEC which is aside to sort of the main school learning platforms um, and studied yeah countryside management which is everything from had a biology element to it so that was classroom learning but it was exciting classroom learning it was about the yeah, ecosystems and trophic cascades and how like reed bed filtration works and, and various bits like that and then there were massive outdoors elements so I can put up I think three different types of uh, sort of dry stone wall I can do about five types of hedge laying uh, got my arbor certificates for for all my chainsaw work um and various other little mini qualifications um and was busy doing that for a while uh so i went completely completely aside before i got anywhere near filming nice yeah and through that that's how i sort of ended up going down the wildlife route a little bit more and so yeah so going from going from doing that btech to studying documentary film and tv at newport um university in wales how did how did you get from how how did you sort of get to that point? So 
after the first year of my course um, down in down in Devon, and it was a two-year course, um, I actually broke my ankle really badly mountain biking um, and had to take a year out. So I spent a lot of time in hospital um, and just a lot of rethinking. And what I'd really learned from that first year was I wanted to do stuff to encourage people to be in the outdoors more. Um, and when you become a park ranger, quite often in the UK, it's incredible work and like the people that I got to work with and the, the experience I got with them amazing people that do it but they all were like it's essentially you are teaching people but at a very slow rate um, a lot of it is sort of repairing damages from when the tourist season comes around and hammers the park um, and you're just very it's, it's very glacial um, and I think maybe my sort of ADHD brain of just wanting wanting a more immediate response was like ah that's not for me maybe um and I, I always played with cameras when I was out mountain biking. I was always the one filming my mates biking and skating and like putting little edits together. And I just enjoyed that from, from a fun point of view. I'd never considered career stuff with it. Um, but it got to a point where I was like, well, there's no straight line path to it. Now there's a wonderful course at UE, so you can bridge sort of between sciences and filmmaking. There's a lovely master's degree. Um, but yeah, I was like, well, there's got to be a way of meshing these two things together. And a lot of people I chatted to then at the time had gone down a scientific route. They'd done their A-levels and they'd gone to science and they studied zoology or biology and then decided to go and get into filmmaking. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm rubbish at exams. Um, it's too late now to go back and suddenly pick up my A-levels. So I kept on the BTEC route and I came back closer to home in Somerset um, and I studied pure filmmaking essentially um, I did a course in broadcast media so I did two years and did equivalent of A-levels in, in that um, and I did an AS in photography alongside of it just for fun um, and then I went off and studied documentary film at Newport Uni um, and it was very much a decision to go and study what I then learned was the most important aspect of filmmaking which is really great storytelling um, I wasn't interested in just going to a film school and taking off being like oh I went to film school um, the the documentary course which has now sadly been dissolved um, that was at Newport was amazing the lecturers were really great and they really got what I wanted to do um, and the, at the time I'd already been choosing quite a lot and so I was quite happy technically um, and so they were really really good at just hammering into me being like okay film on your phone I don't care how fancy it looks tell me a really good story and it was just three years of just making a lot of films a lot of really terrible films which is ultimately the way that you sort of have to have to sort of become a, a sort of a better filmmaker is you've got to make a lot of rubbish and look back at it and be like I thought that was good at the time and like <laughs> it is unwatchable <laughs> and how did you um how did you get your first uh, work experience um, sort of placement? Because that was with an editor on the Disney Nature feature film Bears. How did how did that come about? That was um, through through that university actually. Um, I already volunteered at Wild Screen, which anyone who wants to get into filmmaking stuff um, should well know that Wild Screen is is the way to go. A fantastic place to go and volunteer. So I had sort of connections and and friends, but. Um, our senior lecturer at Newport was good friends with Andy Netley, the editor um, on Bears, and he's an editor on an awful lot of the very big, very, very wonderful blue chip stuff. Um, and at that time, I wasn't particularly pinned to wanting to be um, on the camera side of things. Uh, I knew that I wanted to get into filmmaking because I, I'd watched a few films and they had a big emotional impact on me. And I was like, okay, this is a very powerful tool to 
educate people with. Our senior lecturer at Newport had uh, a very good friend, Andy Netley, who was working with, uh, I think it was Silverback Productions at the time, who make all the the big um, sort of Netflix stuff now. Um, and they work very closely with Disney. Um, and Andy worked on an awful lot of the big, what we call blue chip programs, which are the big David Attenborough type things. Um, and so it was a great opportunity to go in um, and see things from that side of that side of uh, the production. Whereas I'd always done camera stuff before, I wasn't already totally pinned into being like, that's it, I want to be on the camera side of things. I wanted to try and figure out where best my brain fit into filmmaking. Just through getting into it, knowing that filmmaking is an incredibly powerful tool, and I knew I wanted to be a part of using that to teach people things, um, I think, I was open-minded at that point just to be like, okay, where, where do I, where do I fit in best? Do I suddenly have a click with editing? You know, do I suddenly have a click with producing? Um, where, where does it, where does it suit me? And it happens that I still fell on the camera side of the lines. Like that, that's, that's where I've landed. But yeah, it was a real want to experience that other stuff. Definitely. And how did you, how did you, from there, how did you get on, get on to get your first break um, in natural history and in Bristol? So after university, I sort of chipped away at contacts, uh, meeting people as is the way, uh, more more wild screen and bits like that. Um, and eventually I got some work on Springwatch uh, just as a runner. I got offered the, there's a role to do camera work where you sit in the van and, and you operate all the remote cameras they have on the nests. And I think I just come out of uh, about five weeks of editing sort of pay your rent projects um <laughs> various little music videos and corporate things and so i was like i want to go sit in a dark van so i got a runner position on that where i was just legging it backwards and forwards from the studio um and then met lots and lots of the producers through that because i wasn't locked away and so i think it was seen as a bit of a lesser position but i was quite happy to be out and about and, and doing things and so that wasn't my first camera side of things I was filming a lot of the time. My friend, uh, who was also a runner there, Adrian and I would get up really early before the program. We'd go out and film stuff on our own little cameras. And some of it went on the online stuff, um, went on their live bits, which is cool. But then a while afterwards, um, I got an email back. I'd sort of dropped little hard drives off with all my showreels to all the producers at the end. Um, and... <laughs> uh you got to do what you got to do it worked i got an email back from one of the uh, producers bill saying hey i completely overlooked your stuff i'm really sorry uh i like put put this memory stick on my desk and i just found it and watched it and was like oh i should have like got back in touch with you earlier and um, which is very lovely of him um and i did some work on a channel five series called wild britain uh and went and filmed some wild boar um, for them, which is which is a lovely thing up in the Forest of Dean. It was an area I knew quite well because I'd lived there a bit during uni. Um, and so, yeah, that was my first sequence where they were just like, here's a camera, you better come back with a story. And you've, at this point, you've worked um, across six continents on programmes. Uh, I mean, it's a huge milestone in and of itself. But which is, if you could pick a favourite, um, which would it be and why? I think my favourite, favourite place that I've travelled to so far is Russia far eastern russia it's very lovely to go somewhere that feels incredibly wild and that feels incredibly unwesternized um and 
there was yeah something very wonderful about the people that we met out there something very wonderful about how prehistoric all the land feels out there um, and very unexplored just the scale of it you cannot believe i think one of our shoots we did the longest internal flight um in in the world which is like 12 hours and you're still in russia it's absolutely wild <laughs> you can't believe wow. that it's that huge uh, i mean, you forget that russia is the biggest country in the world isn't it by such a long way as well it's crazy yeah, yeah. realize how distorted all the map projections are of things as well because it's all squished up into the very northern part um yeah it's a vast place but and and just absolutely beautiful as well um, I can't until Frozen Planet's out. I can't tell you what I've seen up there, but I've seen things. Isn't that a teaser? <laughs> um, and thinking about um, what what your expectations of the industry would be when you got in, have they rung true, or or is the, have, has there been sort of a a difference in thought, or a sort of a changing of your like mindset or mentality as to what the the industry is? So. I think my perception of the industry has definitely changed. Wildlife particularly is a very, very unique part of of the filmmaking industry. Um, It really does do its own thing. It doesn't follow any of the normal rules. Um, And I was very lucky to, through through various friends and connections, as I was finding my feet in wildlife to go off and shoot a lot of high-end commercial projects, um, music videos, and see lots of the other parts of the world, but at quite a high level. so getting to go really look at how how do they put together a big Sony music video in Pinewood Studios? How do you go and put together like a Eurosport advert um, and working on those sorts of things and then coming into wildlife and being like, whoa, it is so different. Um, and so I think what the wildlife thing has that that a lot of the other film industry doesn't have is uh, quite an open-mindedness where not many people come from a structured film background or really know how films go together at all. <laughs> There's a lot of like just people with good hearts, um, people, scientists who are like, actually, I think I'm a bit more creative than analytical. Uh, I want to get into this sort of side of things. Um, and so it both makes, for me, uh, seeing a lot of the filmmaking bits, I find it quite difficult sometimes being like, there's a real structure here. We should be doing it this way because it works in the edit. Um, and then there's someone who's maybe trying to find their feet as their first sort of AP job who's never done film directing before. And it's just like, oh, I'm going to play it safe and we should do it like this instead. So sometimes I f- have that flip side where I'm like, oh, there's a real, there's an easy way of making this look really lovely and we're skipping around it or we're like missing an opportunity. And then there's the other lovely side of things where because people don't play by the rules, because people aren't following structures of how stuff works, lovely things happen, beautiful stories happen very organically um, through just experiencing and being out there and doing doing what you can do to, to pull them together. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been both wonderful and at times frustrating, but isn't everyone's jobs a bit frustrating at times? Um, if it's not, then you're not caring enough about it, maybe, I think. <laughs> Yeah, if at any point you hear a dog barking, um, that's because Ollie has, um, yeah, a hound that is the, already the size of a small human. Definitely some howling earlier, yeah. <laughs> TV, I mean, TV is a very, TV production is a very collaborative process and sort of workplace. What do you think the skills... Um, you need to have to be able to become a really good wildlife camera person or sort of a cinematographer? Um, I think the the biggest thing is, and I got told this a while ago by a producer in one of my early days meetings, was like, he's like, I've got to know you well enough that I'm prepared to spend a month in a tent with you. 
Um, and I thought that was great advice. I was like, fair enough. Yeah, you can't just walk up to someone and be like, hey, can I come on a shoot with you? Wildlife shoots are very expensive. You're going somewhere overseas. You're going there for a long time. Um, because they're expensive, there's a lot of pressure on. So you better be a tight-knit team before you get going. Uh, you better better trust each other. And you better trust your sort of profession and each other as well. That Even if you don't get on, can you still deliver? Do you still know then that actually, okay, creatively we're clashing a little bit, but we can still bring back something wonderful um, despite that. And, and that comes with time. That comes with time and meeting lots of people um, and having a good reputation, both ends as well. I know as many uh, cinematographers um, that, that dodge producers as producers that dodge cinematographers. Um, <laughs> that's that's the way it is. Um, I think, yeah, so so being, being likable, uh, having a good reputation is the hardest thing, obviously trying to break into it. Thankfully now there are more and more programs that are being made that, that aren't just huge budget things. There are more and more opportunities opening up for people to go and do shorter shoots. Um, you do have to build up through doing like short films for Spring Watch, you know, that you'd know coming back and being like, hey, I could deliver the goods. Here's a here's a few minutes of film that I've made and being a likable enough person that someone's like, yeah, I'll take a chance on you. Let's go somewhere. Let's go and make a film. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky one. Everyone gets into it in a very, very different way. I found not met two people that have gone the same route. If thinking of if you're stuck in a hide for weeks on end, how do you how do you stay sane when you're just waiting for a shot that might not come off actually in in like a couple of weeks of filming? What are your sort of like survival survival techniques when you're out when you're out on a hide? So I, I guess this harks back as well to what makes a good wildlife person. It's it's knowing knowing sort of your field skills, knowing what you're trying to film, um, and trying to figure out what what you can do around that so sometimes you'll be filming something so incredibly shy that you have to just let yourself go slightly insane no no headphones in no music um no podcast no reading you have to just be sharp you have to be there um and you, you can't do anything tough and sometimes it's that it's just time wise waiting for something to walk past but something that's maybe a bit more bomb proof that you can sit and you know have a headphone in or, or something and just listen away to music and podcasts and and eventually you'll see out the corner of your eye and be like okay it's here now it's going to come in here it'll be feeding here for three or four days i know i can now get the shots that i need to, to make it work um so yeah it's a it's a field field skill thing there to judge how much you can get away with um i'm a big big music nerd i got to work with some very wonderful bands and really like all my high-res lovely audio stuff and so yeah, I, I take along a lot of a lot of nice long listen albums. <laughs> I was just gonna say, what are your what are your sort of podcasts of choice if you have to if you have to go out? Do you have to have a podcast like all of the episodes downloaded before you go, or what's is there a staple? I the last two times I've tried to do that, um, Spotify curse Spotify has let me down catastrophically, where it's downloaded them all and then won't let me play any of them. Um, so yeah, part of my part of my thing is with music as well um goes into a whole artistic thing of no one no one in the creative industry is paid enough um spotify doesn't pay artists i make sure that i i have spotify but i use it to find new music and then i download albums and they're on my phone old school i have the files it's not quite the same right. as owning a cd or something but like yeah i, yeah, I uh, make a record but you have got it on, yeah exactly yeah, and i do i buy records and cds as well but i have the file on my phone and on a hard 
drive so i can just drag and drop and it's nice nice um that's 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 important yeah nothing worse than getting like 30 days into a shoot and then spotify being like you've not been connected to the internet and then turning everything off i'm in siberia russia there is no internet you're connecting from a dodgy ip address it's like yes i know (laughs) it's me (laughs) and what do you what do you love most about the job I love finding wonderful stories that people haven't told before. Um, I love finding new angles and older stuff as well. So uh, sometimes we, we go and we film things that, that are repeats. You can't film everything new, new, because there's not enough money in the world to do that. There's this huge amount of risk that comes with finding these new stories now. Um, and so a lot of the time it's reapplying sort of technology, uh, newly developed technology, and being like, how can we put a new angle on this story? Or can we show a part of the behavior that we haven't shown before like recently there's been a few nighttime programs that have come out as cameras have got much better in low light um and things like thermal cameras have got better and so you get to see a whole different side of of wildlife filmmaking um so i very much straddle that everything is about storytelling but i really love the technological side of things so if there's a good good way to use tech to tell a story in a lovely new way i really enjoy that i love being like hey i don't think anyone's tried this before if we do this shot on this shot and then we can like use this weird camera in this way um but it has to be to a point where the tech is invisible that's my rule it doesn't have to be a shot where like drone shots i think are used far too gratuitously where everything just intros with the drone shots is easy you're like oh landscape gently moving forwards here we go um this is where sometimes my thing is like yeah it's easy but it's not great filmmaking like what what does that purpose serve is it a fancy drone shot that people are going to be sitting in their living rooms being like oh that's a nice drone shot or is it a drone shot that delivers that landscape in a way that people are like whoa look at that place that's that's what you want to be going for so yeah it's finding that fine line of where can you deliver the technology that people don't realize what you've done but that it really delivers something something special um, and on the flip side, what don't you enjoy about the job? Time away from family, the endless traveling, being in a tent with somebody that you might not necessarily get on with for a couple of months at a time. <laughs> um, I think the the being away from family bit's uh, tricky, being away from home a little bit. Uh, I really enjoy traveling, uh, very, very much so. Um, and I'm a very insular person. Um, I float around and do my own stuff. Even here at home, I, I'll go out and I go ride my bike for three or four hours and I go to the gym by myself. I'll pick the empty part of the gym for two hours and um, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that and that's why I think even though I say I'm hyperactive and ready to go, you find the right thing and you focus. I like that space. Um, but but being away from home, I really like just pottering around at home and doing stuff. Um, my fiance and I have just bought this house here in Bristol and so I've quite enjoyed the forced year off of suddenly going, oh, didn't realise how knackered I was from just going back to back to back shoots um, and being able to spend weekends doing things like re- rebuilding the whole garden and all this kind of stuff and very much looking forward to at some point living somewhere out in the countryside. But yeah, I'd like to be able to do it to a point where, you know, we can have somewhere that can be a little bit more self-sufficient and make as little impact as possible on the planet the way that we live, um, which in Bristol is very difficult. You're just in the city, living the city life, no matter how many like uh, reusable cups you use and and stuff at the end of the day, your, your impact and your footprint is still pretty massive. 
So we'd like to be able to do that and then just work to a point where it'd be lovely to just be able to take the stories that I know are really good, impactful stories and work on those. Work sort of says I'll work on a lot of series that I don't necessarily entirely agree with the ethics of them. It's not that they're bad ethics, but it's just not that they're really a million percent about eco stuff. Um, a lot of them are, are just lovely show programs, which are, which are wonderful and they're very needed. Um, they show the beauty of the natural world, but I'd prefer to work on conservation-centric stuff, stuff where there's a really heavy conservation message. And, and so yeah everything's to sort of try and get to that point a little bit more i think yeah and just i mean as much as there isn't you don't really have like a uh, a typical month if you could think of of the sort of i mean maybe not pandemic pandemic aside like how many days imagining if somebody's listening and sort of loves the idea of working in natural history as a cinematographer how many days in the month on average are you away sort of out of out of home or out of out of the country I think the the first year when I started working on Frozen Planet, I think I had I took six days of holiday that year. Wow, is it that that role is a bit of a different one? But um, it's not all the way. That was a lot of a lot of it was office time. But I probably spent a good seven or eight months away that year. I think, um, and I think that's on average what a lot of a lot of the the top guys do. Um, it seems to work. By the way, I just use having been a cool skater kid, guys generically to mean everyone. <laughs> um, always feel bad walking into the office in Frozen Planet. It's incredibly like it's it's pretty much entirely female led office, and I'm like, hey guys, and I'm like, nope. Hey folks, yeah. how you doing? <laughs> um, yeah, the 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 sort of top top crew out there all all seem to work for about eight months or so. Um, and then yeah back back for the rest but it depends how because now with covid people have been going away for much longer shoots so i've done a couple of shoots which were like seven or eight weeks which is a long time you're pretty fatigued at that point you work 14 hours a day seven days a week when you're on a wildlife shoot there's no off time the wildlife's not not waiting for you so you burn out um but people are now doing those longer shoots up to nine weeks because you get into a country, you get ticked off, you get your COVID restrictions done, you stay there until you filmed everything. Like you don't mm. want to come back and do all your quarantines and all that without. So it'd be interesting to see how that changes the format of things. Do you go out and do two shoots back to back now because that that works better with travel restrictions or because people have just realized that it, it's easier or yeah, who knows? It's definitely, yeah. definitely going to change up. It'd be interesting to see how things go when when everything gets back up to speed mm. so is it usually you were saying it's like it could be like back to back is it usually about sort of four or five weeks is the mark that is like the the typical shoot and then you'd come back and unload and then usually head straight out the door somewhere else yeah i'd say three to five weeks um you try to give yourself a little bit of time i've had a few shoots which have been pretty rough where i've come from 13 hours out of the uk time zone to back to the uk for two days and then i've gone 12 hours out of the uk time zone again and just that flip-flop it just destroys your brain <laughs> as well as just being generally overtired you're just getting to such a like where am i who am i state so it's nice to give yourself a bit of reset time um but you're down to the to the sort of fate of the animal behavior uh at the end of the day you can't be like oh can we go out two weeks later knackered i need some time off they're like well no the behavior is happening on this date the scientists yeah. the research that we've done has said this is when it's going so we've got to be out there like oh their migration won't stop for you i'm afraid <laughs> can you stand in front of all the wildebeest and just put your arms up and just be like wait a yeah. minute do like a gandalf like you shall not pass ollie needs a nap <laughs> <laughs> And what would you what would you say to um, 
somebody who who is wanting to carve out a career in the natural history documentary world themselves what's the most important thing that you've learned or sort of been told or picked up on that you would want to sort of pass on I think the most important thing is storytelling and caring about it and it's about it's about understanding the importance of that in the whole procedure. Um, it's not about using drones. It's not about filming it in 8K. Um, those are all byproducts and things that you can tick off afterwards. They're, they're easy things to plug in. And I think people focus very much on all of that, that side of things and it being like a new thing. And can we make GIFs out of this? And will it do a good online story? All of that stuff will happen naturally and will work wonderfully if you've told a great story. Um, so, so focus on that. And it's understanding that if you're not a great storyteller yourself, to surround yourself with people who are, to learn from them and to appreciate when it's like their time to step in and do stuff. Um, and that that sort of teamwork element, I think that's that's the biggest takeaway there is is being honest with yourself and understanding where you gel into the team and where your strengths are. Um, and then you'll end up where you don't do shoots because where you don't work with people because you know that where you've got a hole in your own skill set, your own abilities, that you're working with someone that fills that perfectly and that you work and you communicate really well. And so that handover just happens very naturally when you're on shoots and when you're working together towards something. Um, mm. And yeah, so it's just that being honest with yourself and doing the best you can to help tell the story. And what do you think, if you think of like all the personalities that work, of, of people who work um, or who have been successful in the industry, what do you think are the main sort of traits that you can you can sort of pick out? Do people need to be, like I was talking to a, um, uh, a journalist the other day and he was saying that one of the top traits that journalists have to have is empathy because you need to be able to empathise with somebody's story to be able to understand it properly and sort of be able to tell it in a way that other people will um, also sympathize or sort of empathize with what do you think are the main traits that sort of are almost like non-negotiable um i think yeah that that is an important one i think that empathy is a big thing um a bit of a a genuine passion for what you're filming it will it, it translates through through the film that you make at the end of the day. Um, if you don't care, if you're not going out on location, reading books and papers about what what's out there and what the animal is, or watching all the films that have been made before about it, and genuinely caring about it, um, and really doing your research, then you're probably doing the wrong thing. Uh, I find it exciting filming stuff that I didn't even know I liked. Uh, so I'll go out, I did some Firefly filming for Seven Worlds and it was a macro shoot. And I was like, oh, I don't really know if I do macro stuff. And the most I've ever learned on a shoot and it was the most amazing thing. And we ended up filming way more than could be cut into the sequence behavior wise because we all loved it so much that we were just like all running at 100%. And we got given this big list by the producer back in the UK being like, here's all the behavior that happens. It's probably a 12 minute story. And bearing in mind that our stories are like three minutes or something that they get cut down. But he's like, if you can get a three minute chunk out of this awesome and i think we managed to get the whole thing we managed to get every bit of behavior all the linking stuff um and so that gets then sold off to other productions i think it's getting used in something else the other behavior that didn't go in the program but that's this kind of that's the kind of thing is it's going into something with an open mind and passion and being like oh this is amazing no matter what if someone's asked you to go and film slugs if if that slug filming doesn't blow your mind <laughs> you're in the wrong place with it yeah <laughs> Thinking about um, 
this is a uh, I suppose this is a little bit more general like what are you, what do you think is the most difficult thing about the industry is do you think it's the the sort of job insecurity or the sort of um, animal behaviors or is it the the sort of the pressure that comes with these huge shoots that you have to come back with things otherwise yeah you might not working work on that sort of production again um, I think the most difficult thing is getting building the relationships building the friendships with producers to to trust you to to go out and shoot and to shoot stuff for them um even having been lucky enough to be in-house and very close to a lot of bbc productions i still struggle and there's still people i chat to who are like oh what, what do you do where are you with this and then they won't trust you to go on a blue chip production even though that's all you've been doing for the last four years um it's it's about that that relationship building and, and working really hard at that so that people do think of you when it comes around to a shoot coming up that's, that's easily the hardest bit um and it's because all the producers have so much on their plates already the amount of hoops that they have to jump through the amount of research they have to do the amount of stuff they have to tie together um at the end of the day we're making very cinematic um documentaries which are two words that don't really go hand in hand cinema being lovely controlled perfect lighting and everything and structured storyboards and the nuance of choosing a set of lenses and then documentary being like running around just being like things are happening i need to film the things that are happening (laughs) so so it's a lot to juggle and so yeah building those relationships to that point where they're just like they need to do something. They need to get something done. They know that you're the person for it. Um, that's that's where where it all clicks. Um, and thinking, I, I just quite like asking this because it's it's another sort of well uh, way into somebody's world. What's if you think of things that have gone wrong, like failures? They could be big or small. What do you think your what do you think your sort of most significant one has been at work, and what did you learn from it? Um, my inability to keep my mouth shut when I think something's wrong uh, and it's something that I've been learning very much over the last few few years um, I don't think it's done me any particular damage yet but we'll see long term <laughs> but just I, I if I think a story is going down the pan if I think we're doing something that's really wrong uh, not ethically that thankfully I'm very very happy actually about this that I've been working in wildlife for quite a while now and I've never seen anyone doing anything ethically unquestionable. I've never seen a producer crack under the pressure to deliver something and be like, oh no, I think we're just going to have to like go and film this somewhere else instead. Or everyone's always stuck to their guns with that, which has always been nice. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, me biting my tongue, just, just from a filmmaking point of view of being like, opening this with a drone shot is absolutely tedious. There's 10 other ways we could open this. Every other bit of this program has opened with a drone shot. You're not being creative right now. And I get frustrated when you're stood somewhere that's like the most beautiful, mind-blowing place in the world and you have hundreds of thousand pounds worth of camera equipment and then someone's like, oh, just do a drone shot, just do a wide shot. You're like, we have the tools to, to bring back something absolutely spectacular here and we're not. Um, and then I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> well there's there are yeah there's i mean drones are great for capturing like the the sort of the epicness and the sort of majesty of a landscape but there are other yeah, ways to do exactly. it exactly yeah and that comes down to that's the storytelling thing um, like i said earlier about about building those skills i think um there it would be great like i say it's good that people have the naivety about storytelling because it has brought forward lots of lovely stuff at the same time but it would be good i think a lot of people could do with just like a few days of of storytelling workshops or something um just from that point of view of just throwing technology at it um and then it's it's my job as well that hopefully 
as long as it's not taking away from time and as long as it's not taking away from me delivering um, for, for the final thing, then it's about giving your producer options so that you give them the option that they would like so that they're like, okay, I've got my drone shot. And then going, hey, um, there's nothing going on this afternoon. The weather's kind of bad, but the weather's good enough for that scenic shot. Can I go and try it on this instead? Can I go and try and give you a few tripod shots? Because I think the static will work a lot better than a moving shot. And it, that's that's what I've been sort of learning is about that that structure of, of, of how you do that um, as a camera person. I say I sort of put wear my feelings quite openly too much. And so it's about being that little learning to be that bit more strategic of being like, okay, at the end of the day, how can I deliver so that when they get to the edit, they're actually like, oh, I'm glad I've got these other options as well, rather than just being like, no, you're wrong. That's rubbish. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose it gives it gives you more leeway as well. Like instead of just if they don't like if they're going through their sort of tick list of things and you've just only been able to do those ones, and they they suddenly have a change of heart, there isn't any extra footage for them to lean on. And and sometimes you you have to film in such because I said the documentary aspect of it, you have to film in such weird ways um, in terms of building the story up. You're waiting. You know that the thing that you need to just be very observational filming is X behavior. But you also in your month out there need to introduce the landscape, introduce maybe if you're waiting to film a predator, you need to introduce the prey species. Um, You need to do those sorts of bits. and so you have to go and film them and you have to film them in sun and in snow and in cloud and at morning and in the evening, just so that when, when stuff all gets cut together, you've got the options. You know, if your predator shows up and goes for a hunt in the snow, you're filming that hunt. Um, you're, you're filming it going on and it's snowing, but you need the other shots to cut away to of the deer running away. And so maybe there's been something else, um, a sort of a smaller one or not your main character. So say you're filming like yeah, tigers, one other little tiger's come in and that's not the character you're filming. You're filming the big mother tiger that rules the area, but that other tiger scares some deer away. So you need to like piece all those bits together in all the different things to, 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 you're showing what's happening. You're showing deer running away from tiger, but you can't hold two cameras at once when the main hunt's happening. You have to focus on your character. And so the structure of building all those bits up really nicely um, so that they are completely scientifically accurate. They completely tell the story. That's the, that's the big juggle is, is making that all work seamlessly um, and knowing that you, you've properly documented what's happened. Hmm. Um, and slightly different, slightly different direction. But in in terms of the sort of TV, TV and sort of broadcast and media industry generally, it's got a bit of a reputation of sort of being like an old boys club with um, people people making decisions, being sort of white men from top universities and private schools. Do you think this is still true today in this in the natural history world, or do you think that description in the UK at least is a bit outdated? Um, I think it's still fairly true, uh, and I think, sadly so, people don't even realise that they're doing it and they're making decisions based on that. I am a white man from private school, and I managed to get into being a wildlife cinematographer where a lot of other people failed, who are very talented, very good people. Um, and I now try and use this to, to give people as much of a leg up as possible. So I have a list. Um, for example, I find it crazy that there aren't more female cinematographers working in the world because I have got a lot of close friends who have an amazing eye um, and fantastic skill set, fantastic CV, who aren't getting big blue chip jobs. Whereas I've seen other people who've walked in having done sort of a bit of a film degree or something and happen to own their own cramp camera and it's like oh come and do this and they just walk into a job and you're like if you put this on paper and didn't put names on it you'd be going for the for the for the woman here because she's so much more skilled 
why aren't you? I don't understand why it's not happening. Um, but yeah, I have a night of a little list of, of my friends now who, when I get asked to do work that I can't do, I sort of immediately go, here you go. How about these people? Um, just, nice. it seems a little tiny thing, but it's sort of all I can no, not at think all. about not doing at, all, at the moment. Yeah, because it's just, I don't, I don't understand it and I've tried to and I really don't know what it is that, that isn't getting sort of yeah either um sort of like minority ethnic groups or um women like hired in these jobs like if you if you just look at people's work there's stuff out there where i'm like i'm in trouble if that person makes it like they're gonna have me because their work their eye for stuff is like wow <laughs> but at the end of the day i want to see that coming through because that's what the industry is about we're not about filming music videos and so someone else is going to come and one-up me and i won't be the best music video filmmaker anymore it's about telling amazing wildlife stories and so if i end up being a bit second shelf because someone else outstanding has come through then great someone else is telling outstanding wildlife stories um I think I get more frustrated when I see that not happening and you see, say, white middle-class guys just coming on through where you're like, you don't have an ounce of skill. You just have fancy cameras. What are you doing here? Mm. Or like a good, or like a very good network to lean on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I can remember one of the one of the other earlier um, interviews I had was with a political journalist who works in the, like, Westminster sort of lobby. Um, and he was just saying of, like, the hundred or so people that he knows off the top of his head who work in the lobby, in and around the lobby, there's about sort of under five people are anything other than white. And it's just, it's just mad. It's crazy. But it's, you know, I think it's good. I think it's, it's like... It might it might seem small to you, but I think those giving people um, the sort of that outlet to sort of come up to you and say hi, can we can we get a coffee in non COVID times and can you just chat about how you got in or do something like that? I think it's just a really good skill or something that's really good to just keep on doing because that's the way that we get in. Like people through people just going on a limb and just being like, right, I've got a spare hour, let's get a coffee. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm um, name check. Chad and Hunter gave me my first shoot on a blue chip thing. And it's because I had a couple of coffees with him and we clicked. Um, and he seemed to like the stuff that I was up to. And I was like, here's some wildlife stuff I've done. It's not shot in 8K on cinema cameras. Here's all my cinema camera stuff that I've done. Um, it looks fantastic and, and cinema-y. Like, can I please put the two together? And he, you know, was kind enough that he saw that I had the passion and the eye and that I had the skill set from the other stuff and, and let me mesh those two things together. Um which is a wonderful opportunity and that's that's all what we what we all sort of like hope for and, and ride on um nice. but yeah i think there's a confidence thing as well and there's definitely uh, a perception that you have to be quite macho to do um wildlife filmmaking like and very much myself i'm six two and a half or three i don't know it depends which shoes i'm wearing um <laughs> and i'm 100 kilos and i like going to the gym and hauling heavy kit around and that is such a tiny part of wildlife filmmaking um I, I enjoy personally just the type of person i am like i said i'm quite hyperactive and, and whatever um don't get me wrong and still sit in a hide quietly for four it's a, it's a weird way that your brain does for four weeks because you're that's still stimulating exciting you're still like there's stuff happening but equally i like putting on a 40 kilo rucksack and hiking up a mountain at altitude um but it's i've done like maybe one physically demanding shoot that's been actually that brutal there's no reason that that um sort of on the on the women's side of things as well where people are like oh i don't know if they can carry big cameras and all this stuff you're like yeah they can everyone shares the load like no one's doing any more than anyone else 
there's there's no there's no reason for that at all like you have to be moderate moderately fit and healthy but anyone who's interested in wildlife stuff is um and yeah. if you if you aren't you do one shoot and it kicks your ass and you're like jesus i'm gonna go for a jog when i go home <laughs> <laughs> yeah right so what do you think um are the best in terms of like the the sort of job insecurity and, and instability sometimes that comes with the industry what do you think the best things that somebody can do to sort of protect themselves against that um have you got any sort of fail safe things to yeah, that work for you. <laughs> Ollie's shaking his head. <laughs> and then I'm going to come up with something that's a bit more adult than being like, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I've got uh, I've got a little bit of, of savings. Personally, and this is not how I recommend anyone deals with their, their finances and stuff, uh, I'm very much more live in the moment. Uh, I'd rather enjoy things now. Um, I'm not into saving up for a retirement like I don't know if I have family incidents and stuff where just things change very quickly and I'd just be sad if I didn't didn't live it how it is but yeah save up <laughs> use different use different bank accounts um I find a good way even things like taxes just immediately I get a paycheck in you know I siphon off however much percentage I need to, to to go into a separate account so you just don't ever have to touch it again do all those little bits get an accountant early on and just do all those little bits um and suddenly everything will, will look after itself um and you find things like the grants that have come through during COVID the people that have got really good accounts and really good accountability of what they've done have been able to get the grants and they're rubbish grants but but it's what saved people in this time um, for sure and has paid people's rent when it's needed to. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's just that. It's the very tedious being be very organised. Um, and even when things are quiet, generally, you'll be pretty good. Nice. Um, I mean, this is, this is a pointless question for somebody like you, but do you think if you had your time again, would you choose Natural History Film? Yeah, I, I definitely would. Uh, nothing else clicks for me like this does. Um, despite all its frustrations and and uh, as well you know going and doing an entire shoot and then the behavior that you wanted didn't didn't happen after six weeks and um, all that kind of stuff it, it makes it all the sweeter when it does all come together um, I really like the challenge of it every shoot's learning something new uh, certainly that's why I think on the camera side of things I ended up I really like the creative side of it and say it's always why I had cameras in my hands growing up but um, yeah very very much need that change you can go you know all you want to about cameras and and stuff and it's always fun figuring out a little bit more about how your framing affects things emotionally and there's a constant learning curve with that fine the joyous thing with wildlife is you can know all of that stuff and then you spend four weeks on a shoot and you nail the shoot and you come back and that's great and you go on another shoot and the location's totally different the weather's totally different the animal behavior's totally different what you're trying to achieve is totally different so you are back to square one you're back to i don't know anything i have to learn everything about all this place now to be able to then tell that story properly um and that's what i think it gives that the no one else no what no other part of even the media industry really does um is that complete like carte blanche where you just show up and you're just like and i'm a beginner again And last thing, if you could, if you could distill all the advice um, that you've sort of either had or given today for a newbie wanting to start out um, in the natural history documentary industry, which is it is a very, um, it's a very um, different part of the industry to anything else. What do you down to a sentence or two? What do you think that advice would be? Show up, work hard, be kind. 
um and yeah everyone everyone's your friend we're everyone's working towards the same thing you you have to meet people have coffees with them when you make friends with people you'll end up working with them so yeah so the best thing you can do is yep show up work hard be kind nice and a bonus question i've just i've just been thinking about it um in terms of there is, there is that that sort of like ethic ethically of, of natural history films there is that thing of your as a as somebody behind the behind the lens who's filming this behavior there is there is this unspoken thing if you never ever interact and you never never sort of change an outcome has there ever been a point for you sort of personally being out in the field where you found that really really hard or sort of is there a particular example all the time you're out there because you care about the wildlife you care about what's happening um and even if you know that what you might do what you might interfere with you know if it's going to be feeding someone or putting something back in a nest or saving something from being attacked like saving a young animal from being attacked you're not really that one incident of that one thing even if it's the rarest animal ever is not going to really impact anything um you have to remember that you're there to you have to remember that you're there to document that um and so really now <laughs> uh, you have to remember that you're there to document that uh, and take a step back. And I think if you didn't want to interfere and you didn't want to help, basically, you, you wouldn't be doing the right thing. If you were just emotionally sat there like, oh, I just got ripped apart and you didn't feel anything, then yeah, <laughs> not in the right job. No, I can remember that. I can remember there was that. I can't remember which program it was, but there was this. There was this um, sequence where walruses, because there wasn't enough space for them to be on the beach or something, they climbed to the top of this really sort of jaggedy cliff, and they ended up just falling. Um, and you just, yeah, I mean, there was like a behind the scenes sort of afterwards um, clip of it, and you just saw all of these um, producers and sort of camera people just really like tearing up because. They, there isn't there was nothing they could do yeah i but. know that i know the chaps who filmed that as well and the team that went out there they're quite a tough tough bunch and they were saying it was hard to film that yeah so yeah fair play that's um then that was seven worlds and our planet both did that one did a shoot share which is like it's a really nice thing to do it's a very eco way of doing it being like we both want to film this behavior we want to film slightly different aspects let's send out one team together saves flights saves yeah sending multiple crews and multiple kits out um, which was nice and then they got to cover like i was saying earlier you can only fit so much story in different parts of these programs it's quite a cool way of doing it but yeah heard heard about that one that was um very very tough shoot um and certainly there's been a lot more of that kind of stuff happening over the last few years with people going out to far-flung places and like years and years of science being like this is what happens this is when the behavior happens and you get there and it's like it's failed this year first time on record has failed now what do we do how do we film this how do we cover this um yeah so i think think over the next few years say because wildlife takes time to come through this stuff's being filmed now it might not be out for two or three years um but it's it's building momentum for sure brilliant well ollie jelly thank you very much no problems at all thanks for thanks for having your chat mate i hope you enjoyed that interview with wildlife cinematographer ollie jelly if you'd like to listen to more episodes of this podcast you can find us on apple or spotify so what do you do is an ampersand speech production 